Welcome to Risk Roundup. The ongoing technology revolution in cyberspace is altering everything from how we communicate to how we make friends, work, bank, shop, go to war, and so much more. The emergence of this rapidly innovating whole new world of cyberspace has given individual and entities across nations, its government industries, organizations, and academia, in short, referred to as NGIOA, great promise as well as great peril. We all know that irrespective of cyberspace, geospace, or space, the world is never shaped by just the technology. While the transformative abilities that technology from cyberspace brings humans, the impact cyber technology has on every component of a nation, the influence cyber technology has on individual and collective human behavior, and the ability cyber technology brings in defining and designing new modes of business, management, governance, processes, and more, is a step towards progress and development and the very future of humanity. Its interconnections and interdependencies with geospace and space also brings us many unwanted risks. While it is difficult to make precise predictions about the future of cyberspace, geospace, or space, or its associated security issues, we do need to explore how connected computers, internet, and the existing and emerging forces in cyberspace could intersect to reshape the relationship between humans and technology and what it will mean to be secure today and in the coming tomorrow. To discuss future of cyberspace further, I'm honored to welcome Harold Collin to Risk Roundup. Harold is the founder and executive director of Cyber Future Foundation and is based in the United States. Welcome, Harold. We are delighted to have you on Risk Roundup. Having me, my pleasure. A wonderful, Harold. So let's begin by discussing this. What is the future of cyberspace? Okay, now if I wouldn't ask that question, no one knows the future. What we do know is that more of, a, uh, of an integral part in everyone's life. I was uh, sitting at a, a conference room yesterday and we were discussing uh, how uh, 20 years ago there were many parts of the globe that were completely inaccessible to, to technology and to communications. And uh, now there's really no part of the globe, uh, you know, some of the most remote parts of Africa, South America, uh, uh, Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, Russia, and so forth, uh, now have ubiquitous coverage uh, through things right here. So uh, the, the future is, uh, uh, it's bright, I would say. Uh, the future is going to bring technologies that we can't even imagine today. Uh, you know, there's the, the digitization of so much of our life now. Uh, so, so we take that digitization process from the analog to the digital, and then we, we use the cyber domain as the communications channel, as the, as the, the, um, the knowledge transfer mechanism. So, uh, the future is only going to be limited by the imaginations and and uh, uh, work of uh, those in the future. Yes, I mean, uh, it is uh, going to depend on the imagination, innovation, and the ideas that are emerging mm -hmm. from by not only individuals, but also, you know, how the governments, how the organization industries and all they reshape uh, and, uh, you know, uh, 
the new systems, how they emerge, that is going to define, it's going to be very, very complex. I agree it's very difficult to predict the future of cyberspace, and it is not clear because there are so many different variables and components that are involved. So uh, let's talk, before we go further on the discussion, let's talk about what strategic trends that you see across nations as you travel and across its government industries, organizations and academia in cyberspace and because of cyberspace in geospace and space, because now we are talking not just about the information and communication technology, we are talking about artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, blockchain based digital infrastructure that is being you know built for the digital domain, big data analytics and so much more. So what are the strategic trends that you are observing? Oh, well, when you talk about governments and regulations, uh, that's on, on the one hand, that's the, what we would call uh, the limitations. Uh, in some respects, government regulation facilitates. Uh, but in some uh, instances, I think it's more generally thought of that government regulation uh, holds back or hinders or stifles innovation. Uh, so there are, there are, you know, everything in, in life is along the bell curve, okay? So we have uh, uh, some governments that are completely open. I, I would say that the United States uh, falls toward that end uh, of the spectrum that uh, tends toward uh, uh, almost total openness, if you will, uh, and to, to other countries that we all know have a very locked down um, uh, cyber domain, so it, it's not accessible. It's not uh, free flowing with information and, and uh, ubiquitous access. And then there are a lot of uh, uh, the rest of the world is is somewhere in the middle. And one of the big issues that everyone has, and I think governments uh, probably their primary concern is is privacy the privacy of, of what the government itself is doing, the privacy of the citizens of that country, and uh, uh, you know, privacy relative to other governments and, and other researchers and so forth. So, uh, you know, you have the European Union, for example, they are taking a lead uh, through GDPR um, in, in data, or forget Dave, information, information security and pri information privacy for the individual. Uh, whereas, you know, as we know, other countries, their policies are that they, um, uh, they want to have full access to, to all of the, the information and with no restrictions by, by, the, uh, by the citizenry on what the government may or may not do with that information. So, uh, see is, and, and I've always seen this, that the more people from different cultures, different countries, different, uh, different social backgrounds, the more they interact, the more they communicate, the more they collaborate, the more they innovate. And, and that, that propels. So, you know, let's, let's just, again, take two ends of the spectrum. So you have a group from a very, very open society, open access to the internet and so forth. And then you take another group that are from a society that does not have that access 
that develop in those different cultures. And so when they can get together, who knows what new ideas, what new innovations, technologies, modalities might come of that. Yes, very, very true. And I, I hear your point in that, that there are, I mean, there is going to be, while uh, the cyberspace kind of levels the playing field for each nation, the nations that are ruled by governments that destroy incentives and discourage innovation and uh, they, their citizens don't get uh, the resources that they need or the motivation or the uh, systems on which they can build their innovations. The, 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 uh, the playing field is going to be tilted and the citizens, they won't have the opportunities where the other nations, where everything is, you know, going in favor of cyberspace and the innovation, they will have better opportunities. So uh, these, there is going to, there are going to be a lot of imbalances. So nations that have, that are building, that have been built on exploitation over the years, they are inevitably going to fail in cyber, cyberspace and uh, the, uh, the nations that have been built on corruption, uh, the entire system is going to uh, come down. So the question is, what can individual nation do independently and collectively to improve its competitive and innovative position in the world, thereby tipping the scale of cyberspace in its favor? And as you travel, you must have seen that there are so many imbalances. A lot of nations don't even have the basic primary digital infrastructure that they need on which they can build and they can take the benefit of cyberspace and the amazing technologies and the uh, potential of progress. All of that's true. Uh, however, what I've determined in, in my, and I've, I've traveled the world my entire life since I was a young man. <clears throat> and I would say that, uh, uh, sometimes you have a, a government uh, and, and the rulers of the government, let's just, you know, let's, let's break it down to the individual, the rulers of certain government systems who, uh, they exist very fine. Their lifestyle is, is not impacted by, by stifling innovation, by removing uh, incentives from the uh, citizens to, to develop technologies and, and things like that. So, uh, you, there, there, there comes that time. I think it's basic uh, human nature to uh, to want to be able to to think and communicate freely. Okay, and it, uh, as I said, it's the it's the uh, communication collaboration that uh, that develops uh, some of the great uh, breakthroughs in technology. Uh, I, I think there are always going to be. Uh, those societies that are behind and, and they shift over time. They, they shift over the decades, over the centuries, over the millennium uh, as, as uh, basic human nature is, is to, to, to break out and to be unfettered and unchained. And, uh, and, and we see that happening. I've seen that in my lifetime. And there are uh, uh, you know, tremendous innovations from countries that uh, 30 years ago were not considered to be innovative societies, and, and today they are. Um, you, you can take some of the uh, Eastern European countries as a good example. Uh, I think you can take uh, uh, some as an example. Drastic, drastic change in 30 years. 30 years, that's not that long. So 
yes. the, the technologies uh, uh, are, are can all technologies are are uh, moral nor immoral. Uh, they're they're non-political. They're non-religious. Uh, technology is just that. It's what we. It's what I do with the technology that may add a component of of political or religious or moral uh, um, outcome or forces to it. So. Again, you have countries who's who, who have a history of having a religious leadership, and, and, and then a secular, and, and and that always shifts the uh, the relationship of the government, the people in the government, to technology, uh, and then that of course filters down to the citizens of that country or that society or that region, their access and their relationship to technology. So I'm not a digital native. Uh, and I know that uh, there are, are people in, uh, you know, we read a lot about some of the, um, uh, the micro, the micro banking, the micro loans uh, in India, parts of Africa uh, specifically, very, very successful. Uh, and all of this within the last two or three years, yes. uh, overnight, if you will. And and I would say that's a technology that I don't quite understand. I mean, I, I haven't really studied it, but but the people that are participating in those those micro loan ecosystems are uh, they're they're um, they are embracing that technology. And and who knows how their adoption rate may be very very fast compared to the United States. Yes, yes, that it's is the rate of adoption. Yes, the rate of adoption. And in cyberspace, what is common to all is access to technology, data, and information. But what is not common is how one uses the data information, for what purpose and goals. While cyberspace has given nations, each nation the same starting point in access to technology and information. Do you see any other variables in geospace that will determine whether a nation will be able to use the information from cyberspace to develop progress and succeed across cyberspace, geospace, and space? I mean, we talked briefly about that many nations don't even have the basic digital infrastructure. Now, when the computer core con and connected computers and internet is connecting cyberspace with geospace and space, everything is connected. So if you don't have, in if a nation doesn't have a proper basic digital infrastructure, then how are they going to go forward with the space initiatives where so many nations are rapidly advancing towards space initiatives also. So this cyber, the future of cyberspace is going to determine not only the future of space, uh, geospace, but also the future of space. So where do you, what variables do you see that are playing role and how are nations preparing for that? So, if you if you look at the history of technology and technological innovation, uh, you'll find that a lot of that is driven by military issues, military concerns. So, uh, you, you know, we have the weaponization of space. 
we have the weaponization of the internet. We have the weapon, weaponization uh, of technology. And, and I think that that's, that's historical. I don't, I don't see that changing. So, uh, that gives an incentive for uh, certain governments to want to maintain the monopolies, maintain monopolies on technology, maintain on domains. Okay, so so the domain of space, for example, um, and uh, a lot of that information is classified. It's not shared with the citizens. It's not shared with the researchers, with the academicians. It's, uh, it's, it's maintained behind those closed doors in the, in the military uh, discussions. So uh, it, it, we just, it's always been that way. I suppose it's always going to be that way. And so I think what we do is we learn to coexist. We, we learn to uh, maybe complement, uh, and and I think that's that's always something that's uh, uh, open for for uh, discussion, open for uh, investigation. Is is how does uh, how do the institutions of higher learning collaborate with uh, departments of defense, and and how does that research? Um, it out into the, the consumer to, to the population. Uh, you know, we take the NASA, the, the uh, space uh, program of the United States. Lots and lots of, of technology has been filtered down to the consumer level, but this takes decades to, to happen. So, in the, the geospace and the space, I think it is always going to be primarily controlled. Uh, certainly at the beginning, by, uh, by defense and security-minded institutions, governments, military, and so forth. So there's a peaceful coexistence that, uh, uh, that we're, we're not in, uh, in government service or military service. We can extract that, and, and that, that always happens as well. So we extract the technology. Uh, out of those domains, and then we apply it into the commercial and, and industrial, social uh, segments of society. But, but uh, I mean, so far, you are right that over the years, it was the military who was controlling the space initiatives. But now, the, there is a democratization of space. By If you see the nanosatellites has changed the you know, entire the space initiative spectrum. It has democratized the space, and a lot of private companies now are also, apart from the nanosatellites, and they're not only the research initiative, anybody with a, having a desire to have their own satellite in space can have a, you know their own satellite in space now. It's yes. so cost effective, and it's so, you know, everybody can take part in their initiatives. And in addition to that, there is also the asteroid mining and a lot of other space initiatives that are going on in deep space and you know, uh, lower space. And the, 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 the space spectrum is changing so rapidly. 
so it is uh, the the connected computers uh, has you know given ability to do so much more than what military was you know able to do over the years as far as you know talking about the space now the world is expected to face extraordinary changes in the coming years with growth as the only constant in those changes in cyberspace and here the growth means more people if we talk about cyberspace more people more devices more connectivity more data more opportunities and more security risk the emerging trends in the cyberspace reflect very significant shifts of players and actions in the cyberspace cyber sphere that reveal the reconfiguration of interest influences and investment in the cyber domain of global politics and power play so what shift do you see in the world politics and power if any due to cyberspace well once again that's uh, the private uh, you know the the spacex program and and uh, all of those others and and i'm uh, no, I don't want to get, get into a lot of that, but that's been extracted out of the, the government, out of the, the military uh, domain, and, and it's been extracted, uh, declassified, if you will. So, you know, if we think back into the, the 1960s and the, the, the uh, manned space flights and so forth, uh, there was not even uh, uh, only in the comic books would you have ever considered that that private individuals private citizens private companies would be uh, uh, imitating that very thing and, and having a parallel uh, programs and and now in the united states with the space shuttle program uh, shut down uh, they're actually the innovators and, and they're leading that so you know we can think in terms of uh, uh, Let's think in terms of uh, you know weaponizing uh, uh, using weapons to control this proliferation of uh, public-private space. Okay, uh, through uh, EMP, just EMP technology as an example. Uh, so uh, governments, military uh, institutions have no problem as long as there's always an element of control there there that that's just the nature of of that aspect of society so uh, you know once again you, you get to the point where uh, certain governments may may feel comfortable engaging in this level of of openness and other governments would never consider that level of openness and so I, I and you see a lot of uh, uh, migration of thought leaders around the world. Uh, you know, some of the most repressive repressive regimes uh, they they force out some of their thought leaders because they they must find a, a venue where they can uh, where, where they can explore their their ideas and collaborate with with other thought leaders with with their peers. So, uh, as far as the, the 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 privatization of space, the proliferation, you know, let's let's take it back to the internet. So, uh, when when IPv4 uh, was was configured, I'm sure they thought that was all that would ever be needed. Uh, now we have IPv6, and uh, and and I I remember reading uh, several years ago. 
you know, 200 years, you know, 200 years of proliferation would never exhaust all of the, uh, the addresses for IPv6. Well, that was before we started even thinking about uh, the Internet of Things. We've started thinking about the proliferation of sensors everywhere. Uh, that's not even taking into, the, into account uh, wearable uh, sensors, um, uh, uh, embedded uh, sensors, uh, uh, biological sensors. We haven't even we haven't even thought that. So now that shrinks that 200 or whatever it was. I don't remember, but let's say a 200 year window. Now maybe it's an 80 year window. But 20 years from now, something may arise. Oh, we only have 20 more years uh, until IPv6 is exhausted. But by that time, we may have a, a new entire protocol for this. So uh, I, I, I'm always amazed at what people will, will uh, dream up next. Yes, very true, very true. And industrial Internet of Things and variables that not only just that we go on the human body, but also, you know, inside the human body and biosensors and all kinds of things that Adjustables. yeah it's, it's changing the the whole innovation spectrum so rapidly and you are right about talking emp the electromagnetic pulse you know the risk that are that could any nation could face because of that that those needs to be you know controlled and the challenge is that you know not all nations are collectively working to prevent this kind of episodes now there is you know a great risk uh, from North Korea, there is a lot of fear that they will, you know, do something crazy. And then, you know, we will, uh, nations like, you know, ours, in the United States, we will suffer because of, uh, you know, their uh, lack of, you know, maturity on certain aspects, the government. So there is a lot of cause of concern because how do you control nations like that? How do you, how do you control? these kind of uh, space disasters because everything is connected cyberspace to geospace space and if we are not able to control certain nations how do we control the bigger you know uh, risk that emerges from so many unknowns in the space so it, it, there are big complex security challenges and we have to be concerned especially because the nations are not working collectively on creating policies that would secure not only cyberspace but also space and uh, we have not even uh, been able to control the security risk emerging in geospace and uh, we are already rapidly moving towards cyberspace and we nations are not working together to collectively to create policies that can secure cyberspace cyber warfare uh, is going on with, there are no rules of cyber warfare so there is uh, open you know war field that anyone can any private citizen any state anyone can you know uh, enter into and create a lot of havoc so there is a, there are a lot of risk emerging and if we are talking about space there is so much there are so many unknowns we don't understand space at this point and as we explore and if we come up with this kind of emp kind of risk it's going to be very disastrous for the collective humanity so there is a cause of concern now it is reported that that or more than 50 percent i think uh, i may not have the right number but i think it's rapidly growing world population is now digitally connected today and in the coming years close to 100 percent of people uh, would be connected uh, the using the connected computers and the internet so the internet dependence 
is not just a concept anymore, but it's the new digital global age reality. So this new digital global age reality brings each one of us an entirely new world of opportunities as well as security risk. What do you see is the expected consequences at each level? If we look at the opportunities at global level, regional, national, local, what kind of opportunities you see emerging because of this growing connectivity? Oh, so let's, let's back to the, uh, the idea of the uh, EMP. Okay. So what's the effect of in the ingestible technology if, if it's subjected to electromagnetic pulse? We, we don't know. We would have never thought 10 years ago or 15 years ago, we've never thought that it might be possible to, uh, to remotely uh, disable, hack um, uh, medical equipment inside of a hospital. You know, we would have never considered that it would be possible to to take over control of a uh, of a automobile that that had uh, you know a, a crash avoidance system in it. Uh, okay, so uh, in the future, I I, I you know that whoever it was probably Shakespeare said that uh, you know past is prologue to the future. Uh, so again, that's we're studying human nature. We're talking about human nature. So uh, we have we have these technologies, uh, and, and and we have human nature. Some people want to uh, want to use technology, want to use innovation, and, and and they're creative. They're creative individuals on how to use this to better humanity, to better the human condition. Whereas we have other people who have that confronted with the very same technology and, and their mind automatically goes to how can I dominate? How can I subjugate? How can I, how can I benefit myself? Uh, whether it's, you know, financially, physically, or whether it's just emotionally and, and you know, feeding the ego because I can control other people because I can hack into uh, a hospital and, and shut down, uh, someone's uh, infusion pump or, or something like that. Uh, and, and governments, again, are, are merely people. So, so that government is merely a group of people who happen to have uh, a level of control over other people, their citizens, their population. So that mindset of, of those governing uh, people, uh, as long as it's somewhat in alignment with the expectations of the citizens, it's going to continue along that same line. Takes out uh, North Korea as an example. Everyone, everyone knows. No one argues that that is what we would term a rogue nation. It means it, it, it doesn't accept, it doesn't follow into the norms of accepted behavior in the international forum, okay? Look at what they're using the technology for. Now, I don't know what the motivation is uh, of, of their leader, but uh, we also know that that leader has, is influenced by other leaders. We know that, that China influences that leader. We know that the leadership of 
Russia influences that leader. We know that the leadership of, of Iran influences that leader. We also know that the, uh, that the leader, uh, leadership of the United States influences that leader. So what are those relationships? What are those interconnectedness at the human level that determines the future use direction of technology? Okay. So one of the things that the Cyber Future Foundation was founded on, one of our, uh, one of our initial uh, aspirations, if you will, was uh, it came about between a conversation in a conversation between uh, Val Mukherjee and, and myself. We we're, were the the founders, and uh, he made the statement over lunch one time. You know, we're always talking about cyber warfare. You know. It, I wish we could begin to discuss cyber peace. And so then I, I shared something of my perspective, which was, was different from his, from a different perspective. And uh, we, we started thinking, how can we affect that? Well, through a peace initiative, the cyber peace initiative is, is one of the things that we're working uh, towards. We're going to be uh, hosting the Cyber Future Dialogue at Davos, Switzerland, January 24th uh, at the World Economic Forum. And, you know, because, again, uh, so much of this comes down to money, uh, the technology, the use of technology, the misuse of technology. It comes down to financial uh, gain, financial loss, financial parity. Uh, so. Uh, through this peace initiative, we we hope to be able to influence, merely offer uh, uh, an idea for discussion whereby collaboration, everybody wins. When you have confrontation, there's by definition a winner and a loser. Okay, that's the nature of confrontation. The nature of collaboration is we both win. If we engage in this thing, this activity called collaboration, we both expect to win. If we engage in this activity called confrontation, we both hope to win, but we know that the other will lose. So that, that's, the, that's that nature. So is there innovation that comes out of confrontation? Of course there is, that's human nature. Uh, the old uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So when you have the confrontation, yes, but also when you have the collaboration, the difference between the confrontation and collaboration, that there's not the same kind of collateral damage when you're collaborating together as when you're confronting each other. So we hope that by having some dialogue like this, some people may hear, they may, it may resonate with them, and, and they may take that idea back into their culture that may be more of the confrontational sort and may be open to a collaboration if that opportunity arises. And so then it's the responsibility of the leaders to give an opportunity for collaboration. 
Yes, the collaboration and cooperation is the key. And the cyber future will be driven and shaped by a number of variables and so many internal and external factors uh, that could be amplified or influenced by the public policy choices that are made not only at a local level or a national level, but and also regional level, but also global level. All nations need to work together to secure cyberspace, to bring the peace that we all are, you know, uh, looking for now as artificial intelligence robotics cloud computing internet of things big data and the cybersecurity looms large on most nations agenda how do you see these not only this transformative technology but other you know policy elements that will define the future terrain of cyberspace uh, collectively that could benefit the humanity and not destroy the humanity so uh, let's let's talk about encryption and quantum computing okay so so today we we have encryption uh, algorithms that uh, you know we can say uh, makes make some encrypted uh, files uh, uh, completely safe uh, once quantum commute uh, quantum computing makes a uh, uh, takes takes the next step gets to that next level of implementation the whole idea the whole conception that we have today of encryption that goes away so what's next then that comes back full circle to that idea of, of privacy and openness okay um, so again we have in uh, Germany is a, a good example uh, there are uh, just adamant about privacy. They demand privacy. They they regulate privacy. They they give their citizens the the opportunity to to own their data, to own the information that's out there in in the in the databases, in the files of all the companies like the Googles of the world. Uh, whereas here in the United States. There's data that's being collected on us. We don't even know it's there. And if we found out where it was and what it was, we have no recourse. We have no no control. We have no ownership over that information about ourselves. So again, there's there's this wide wide uh, a chasm between uh, different cultures, different mindsets about what's important and what's not. Um, there's a, a great book. It's called uh, uh, Public uh, uh, Public Parts, uh, and it was written uh, kind of a tongue-in-cheek to uh, Howard Stern's book of Private Parts, and and this is talking about the transformation over just just a generation of of what the kids today, the the young uh, teenagers, and 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 even younger than that, they will they will put anything and everything about themselves. On the internet for public consumption. Uh, I, I remember ten years ago, I saw my sister's uh, uh, daughter was, I guess, about ten or eleven years old, and she had put her birthday and her address on the on the internet, and I just I freaked out, and I called my sister, said, "You you have to tell her to take that off," and I finally got them to remove the address. But, uh, you know, still had her birthday and her pictures and all that. For me, 
I, I would never want to have that out there. But for the younger generation with the Snapchats and Instagrams, it's, it's a whole different thing. So I don't know what 15 years from now, when a, an entire new generation comes along, what they think is okay and what they think is not okay. It, it, it may be completely upended from today. So we have these technologies like blockchain, uh, uh, you know the the you know distributed ledger technology. Uh, you know what? How is that going to be used? Uh, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I was sitting in uh, for my first time on on an advisory board, and uh, a lot of academics were there. A lot of PhDs in the uh, cybersecurity uh, education field, and uh, I was sitting beside a a, a very qualified. Uh, uh, well-known cybersecurity expert, and I I was looking at the at the this proposed curriculum for the cybersecurity program. And I said, I see nothing in here about mobile security. I see nothing in here about blockchain. I see nothing in here about machine learning. How can you how can you talk about educating students today for future jobs? If you have nothing about mobile security, if you have nothing about blockchain, and the fellow beside me says, oh, well, blockchain is only for contracts. <laughs> okay. So, so there's, there's, a, there's a disconnect. It's such a huge field. There's so many moving parts. There's so many uh, um, uh, subdivisions of cybersecurity of um of uh, uh just just the entire the entire spectrum of the technology that we're discussing today and to expect that that any one person is going to know it all or or, or even have a good understanding of it all I, I i think is is naive so there's it's a matter of of not only educating the, the future uh, innovators, but also educating the professors, yes. educating the corporate leaders, the, the CEOs, the, the board members, the, the advisory board, the trustees of various organizations, as well as government leaders, as well as law enforcement, as well as judges, because they, they're asked to maybe make judicial decisions on technology that they don't understand. So it, it's all about education. And, and the only way we educate these people is, is by presenting uh, ideas for thought and consideration rather than trying to cram it down their throats as if this is going to make you better, wiser, uh, more powerful, more in control, or anything. No, here's, here's some ideas to think about. This, this is, this is how we see collaboration and innovation working rather than confrontation. 
Absolutely, absolutely. There is, I mean, edu education sector is very slow in making changes and our curriculum is uh, outdated. So that needs to change. But there are some uh, signs that that is changing. We do see some uh, hopeful signs uh, from across, you know, nations. So it is going to still take a time. I mean, no education institute is still ready, but uh, the efforts are happening now. While cyberspace is rapidly becoming a fact of daily life, almost overnight, interactions in this uh, cyberspace has been tossed into the realm of so much complex high-stake politics and is at the forefront of almost all major issues we see globally today. Now, cyberspace is a, so, has already become a source of great security vulnerability as we see uh, the you know ongoing cyber warfare and all kinds of hacks and cyber crimes that are happening uh, cyber espionage and uh, whatnot so these is uh, these potential threats uh, to not only national security but it also brings this disturbance to the pre-existing global order as we see, you know, across uh, there, there are great efforts have you know going on by these cyber criminals to, you know, even disrupt the critical infrastructure across nations. We have seen that in Europe, it's happening in uh, other parts of the world also. So this is putting the very survivability and sustainability of nations uh, at risk. So, what do you see happening because of this disturbance of the pre-existing global order if we are not able to contain it or if the nations are not able to come together to work collectively towards you know putting some sort of you know normalcy and some sort of sense into this cyberspace okay so so let me address that uh from a positive perspective uh in august i had the privilege and the real pleasure of meeting uh, His Excellency uh, Ashok Mirpuri. He is the Singaporean ambassador to the United States. Uh, just, a, just a delightful man, very, very intelligent, very, very uh, positive and a, and a real gentleman. And, uh, and I, I had lived in Singapore uh, for a short time, uh, many, many years ago, and I'd lived uh, in, in uh, Thailand and Malaysia and, and uh, worked over there. And I was familiar with, with ASEAN, the Association of South e Southeast Asian Nations. And, and I asked him, uh, we, I was asking him about multilateral agreements between the, the member states of, of ASEAN. And I said, you know, I, I, I'm very familiar with, with the genesis of that organization and that it was an economic development. Uh, that, that was the, the real focus for the creation of ASEAN. And it's been very successful, extremely successful. And I asked him, are there, are there thoughts, are there trends toward other type of, of uh, uh, agreements or, or mutual support along the lines of, of a NATO or something like that. He said, no, not at all, because some of the relationships between those member states go back hundreds and thousands of years. And there are, there are almost hardwired animosities between various cultures and, and countries. And, and we discuss, and I, I understood that. I, I wouldn't have thought of it first, but when he, when he told me, explained it to me, it made perfect sense. But then we, we discussed it, 
shortly after that, he, he called me and let me know that their very first multilateral um, uh, discussions within ASEAN outside of economic development is around cybersecurity. So I took that as a very, very positive indication that cyber, the cyber domain, can be something that can bring people together, something that, that traditional historical uh, enemies even can come together and can collaborate on cybersecurity, on, on secure transactions, on secure economic transactions, on secure uh, uh, intellectual property uh, collaborations. So, uh, so there, there, there's hope that the cyber domain can, in fact, bring about a higher level of, of peace, cooperation, and collaboration. Yes. And, and has, maybe defeat some historical animosities. Yes, it has a potential to bring all the good things that we are hoping for. But as you said, cyberspace vulnerabilities do not arise just from technology. It also arises from the inadequacies in the governance, processes, management, culture, interconnectedness, interdependencies, and integration. Now, if you look at you know, nations, as we say, you know, nations it's and all its components, that means government, industries, organizations, academia, and all the individuals, cyberspace has connected everyone. So if, if we are, if, an if a business within an industry uh, says that, you know, they have taken all security measures and they are going to be secured, that, but if their interconnectedness, interdependencies, their, you know, vendors and the suppliers and all, uh, wherever they are connected, the government, if they are not secure, then that security they have, you know, managed to get for themselves, it doesn't matter because they are still vulnerable. Now, all of our components of the nation, the government, industries, organizations, and academia, they are all at a very different level of security maturity. So uh, the challenge is that, you know, not everyone is progressing, advancing at the same speed when it comes to security. Governments that are supposed to be leading in security, they are not leading. They are quite, you know, behind, uh, in fact, you know, when it comes to the security measures. So. In how can nation? How many nations do you see that understands these complex challenges? Understands that every possible building block of cyberspace, its framework, associated processes, technology, people, and ecosystem—they all are you know connected, and they all need to be addressed simultaneously. If we are hoping for securing cyberspace, if we are hoping to advance and progress and develop based on cyberspace innovations and you know then take a next step towards the space age okay so to answer uh, to respond to that question uh it it makes me think of uh so what one of our attendees at our our cyber future dialogue in in january is uh, chris painter he was the chief cyber diplomat so his job was to travel the world meet with with his counterparts or maybe if there wasn't a counterpart in some particular country uh to their who's going to own uh cyber security or the cyber domain in various countries it may be the minister of defense it could be the minister of finance it could be the minister uh, the, you know, the internal security forces. It, it could be any number of, of organizations within a government 
who's driving the dialogue of cybersecurity. So when you have a, a, a diplomat that is interfacing with these people that have different agendas, economic, military, whatever, it's really slow. It's just like they say in uh, about government period, specifically about uh, you know Washington D.C. It could be said about you know Moscow, Beijing, or any other capital of the world, New Delhi, uh, Bogota. It's really ugly to watch the sausage being made. You know, just to see how the government uh, struggles to make the slightest bit of progress. But you're absolutely correct. So when the Cyber Future Foundation was chartered, we, we chartered three constituent organizations. The Cyber Defense Alliance, which is industry, corporate industry focusing. The Cyber Peace Initiative, which is government, public policy, uh, uh, collaborative in, in, in that uh, sphere. And the Cyber Trust Institute, which is the the academia where we can get professors who who are thought leaders and and always have some level of influence on government leaders. Government has always looked to academia at some level, maybe not a, a, a great extent, but it's so so academia has an influence in the government, but it also has an influence into the future because the way you train those technicians or those engineers or those security professionals, that's going to influence the dialogue a decade from now. When, when other people like you and I are, are sitting here having a conversation, they're going to have a slightly different mindset because of the next 10 years of, of innovation, collaboration, uh, failures, um, and successes. That's the hope, right? So, uh, Harold, there is so much to talk um, and there are so many different uh, variables that needs to be discussed, but we are coming close to our one hour timeline. So, uh, before we close this session, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners? What message would you like to give them? Oh, I guess I would like to say that uh, uh, an, an open-mindedness is, I, I think, the key to progress. Uh, and, and in my own life, uh, I've been confronted with things that uh, I didn't like. I found them to be distasteful. It wasn't my preference. But as I as I thought it through and I realized that other people have a completely different perspective from mine, why do they have that perspective? And begin to, to try to understand, again, I still think I'm right, I still think I'm correct, but to try to understand why that other person sees it differently from me. And that always gives me more enlightenment. That gives me more to go on. And, and I think it brings, and, and if that person can also look at me thinking that, that they are correct and they want to look at me and try to understand why I see an issue uh, differently than they do, maybe in that process of, of almost an unknowing exchange, 
we're brought a little bit closer together. And, and by being brought a little bit closer together, maybe, just maybe, we will be the great collaborators of the future. So that's what we hope to achieve. Let's hope so that we are all collectively, individually and collectively able to go that path and able to achieve that. So thank you so much, Harold, for participating in this roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on cyber future and our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you provided on cyberspace, its future and complex challenges facing nations in not only cyberspace, but also geospace and space. So even if a single individual or entity can come up with an idea to understand cyber future and come up with ideas to solve the complex challenges facing humanity in cyberspace based on the understanding they receive from the discussion we had today. This risk roundup dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Thank you so much. So as nations spend heavily on creating the necessary cyberspace infrastructure to get more individuals and entities across nations with government industries, organizations and academia connected digitally to derive benefits from social and economic development opportunities that the connected computers and internet provides. The future of cyberspace is expected to face complex challenges and security risks. Risk groups, cybersecurity, geosecurity and space security risk research centers are created for these very reasons to identify, evaluate and manage the risk facing NGIOA in CTS, that means nations, its government industries, organizations and academia in cyberspace, geospace and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts fit into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup webcast or hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupalacy.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree Pandya, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.